What's going on, everybody? This is your host, BJ Parker, and this is the Making the Turn podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into the podcast, another episode of Making the Turn. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And uh, we've got a fun uh, another edition of the podcast. We're going to talk about a little bit about some different things, but it's still staying in our industry. And uh, wherever you are, I appreciate you listening, um, subscribing. Thanks for all the love out there. And um, just uh, continue to uh, su- subscribe, reach out, share all of it. And um, I thank you again. But uh, today you're going to enjoy this one. It's going to be a fun podcast. I'm down here in Tullahoma, Tennessee, and we're talking with the owner of Nut Irrigation, Stephen Nutt. How you doing, my man? Doing good, man. Doing good. Well, I appreciate you opening up your home and uh, doing this, and uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking and chatting, and it's good to, good to see you again. Yes, sir. Good to see you, and happy to have you here. Yeah, I appreciate I'm glad it. you came down. I appreciate it. Well, the, but, you know, before we get into it... Um, Tell me a little bit about uh, all your, you know, how you got involved with uh, irrigation, where you kind of came from. Tell the tell people that might not know who you are or might be hearing this for the first time just a little bit about you, and and um, you know it could be a long drawn out story, but we'll talk about some things in the middle. And uh, I know a lot about you. We've kind of had a relationship over the years, but uh, it's been a while. So tell the people out there uh, a little bit about yourself and All how right. you got to be the owner of nut irrigation well it is it's a you know it's kind of a crazy story but I was uh, I was in my third year at the uh, University of Tennessee Knoxville never had a major was just hanging out going to football games having a big time and completely floundering and wasting my dad's money and I had dated who Ashley, who's now my wife, I had dated her for a brief period in high school, and her father was the owner of a golf course irrigation company, A&F Irrigation. Yeah. And so when I was here at UT and I kind of, you know, some things changed and I, I realized that I was wasting my time and my father's money, and I had a, a good friend of mine, uh, Robbie Carr, that was working for my future father-in-law at the time, and I would talk to him occasionally. He was out in Denver, Colorado, doing a golf course for the guy that owns Remax Realty and traveling. Your lodging was paid for. They were working 70 hours a week. He had more money than he knew what to do with. (laughs) And I was at college, floundering, like I said, and broke. Right. And there was something really appealing about that to me. And my dad had made it clear most of my life, once I was done with college, whether it be graduation or however I ended college, that was it, Yeah, you know, and so I just kind of had an epiphany, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to change things up, and so I called Tommy Abbott, who years later became my father-in-law, and yeah. and I told him, I said, Tommy, I'm I'm leaving college, I'm quitting school, I need a job, and so he said, all right, well, just holler at me when you get back in town. And I did, and he sent me to the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania on a Jack Nicholas course. There was solid rock, and I was making $6.50 an hour, and I have never worked so hard 
in all my life. Yeah. But it kind of spurred from there, and I worked for him for, I guess, about nine, maybe almost ten years. And I'd worked my way up through his company, you know, pipe man, wire man, assistant, supervisor, project manager. And sure. uh, I was at that point in 2003, and his company was kind of dwindling down and, you know, going to the wayside, and he was going to do something different. And so I started making plans. I designed my logo. I talked to an insurance guy, had a, my insurance set up. I went to uh, Orange County there in Orlando, Florida, and took the test, got my irrigation license. And then when he finally hung it up, I, I finished the job we were on yeah. for A&F under Nut Irrigation. It was a job for the Marriott, and White's Golf was the general contractor. And I did the last few holes of that, and... And then it's just kind of taken off from there, yeah. you know. And it, really, 2004 is is when we was when I got my first big job, big contract on my own. And yeah. it, you know, it's a lot of luck and a lot of help from other people. What was the What was the first contract that you did? Breakers West Golf Club in uh, West Palm Beach. Yeah, and it's it was a Reese Jones course. Uh, like I said, a lot of luck. And then there was guys, you know, like Mike Pignato, irrigation consultant. Yeah. I was 28 years old at the time. I'd done several jobs with him when I was with A&F, but it took Mike Pignato standing in front of the board for a club like Breakers West. And they have the ocean course and then the West course. It's a high-end community sure. still to this day. And But he stood there and told the board that, this guy can do it. He can handle it. I've got confidence in him. And then other guys like uh, John Getz was uh, running everything for Hector Turf at the time, the Toro distributor. So for a guy like him to convince his owners, the Mantis, to extend in excess of a million dollars worth of credit to somebody with no sort of credit history like that. Right. I've done good paying for cars or whatever. <laughs> but you know, to, to extend me the credit. And so a lot of, a lot of help. Yeah. But these people said they believed in me and we did that one. And it's, it's just kind of, it's gone from there. Yeah. Sometimes you, that's all you need is somebody to believe in you and you, and you're just ready to rock and roll. Really. And I'm, I'm, I'm still grateful to this day yeah. and got, I have great relationships with both those gentlemen and it's, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've never forgotten. Yeah how much I needed them at that time, and they, and they stood up for me, and it's, it's worked out well. Man, that's awesome. So what did, did you say what you studied? Did you, go, you went to UT. Did you say what you studied? I didn't You didn't finish? study. I never had a major. Oh. I never had a major. So you, did you just drop out? Or? I did. Yeah. I did. I just dropped out. I told my dad I was taking a break. Yeah. And um, I'd actually broken up with a girlfriend. I called my dad in tears, told him I was taking a break, and – you know, and through all that, he said, he said, I understand, you know, and he yeah. said, you know, our agreement, you're welcome to come here and stay at the house for two weeks. And actually, I need you to come home because I have insurance papers for your car and sure. other things. And uh, great dad, but he, he was very clear long before I made this decision how it was going to go. And, yeah. and looking back, I'm, I'm grateful for that, too. Yeah, because if I could have floundered on his couch for six months, I might have. Right, but it wasn't an option. 
Well, I mean, you know, you never know how life turns out, but that's how, you know, sometimes those types of decisions come and they're staring and you don't, and you don't know at the time that that's the best thing you need. But it, look at how it's turned out for you. I, mean, I you know. Can't, I know. It's, I'm really grateful. Blessed. Yeah. Well, so what, what, what are you currently doing now? What are some of the things you're working on right now? Right now, we are, uh, we're doing a 27-hole project in Naples, Florida, Pelican Bay. Yeah. And uh, it's a very aggressive schedule. We're working under uh, Glaze Golf, and we have three months to irrigate 27 holes. And we're one month into that. Yeah. And making great progress. One of my best project managers I have, a gentleman named Polo, is, is running that one. And in the first month, they've done 18 holes of main line and eight holes of heads. Yeah. So we're a little ahead of schedule. We're doing Bonita Bay in Bonita Springs, just north of Naples. And that's the third project we've done for Bonita Bay. Have a wonderful relationship with that club and and uh, their employees, and they've still got two more to go. So yeah. that one's been a huge blessing and a whole bunch of work. Yeah. Um, we are just now getting started on, uh, believe the current name is Lakewood Ranch 1000. It's a new construction, which is much more rare these yeah, days. That is rare. Um, but it's in Sarasota, Florida, and we're working with Ryan Golf, and I believe, I hate to misspeak on here, but... I believe it's for Lennar Homes. Um, but we're a subcontractor to Ryan Golf, working on that one. Yep. Then we're doing Quail Ridge Country Club in Boynton Beach, Florida, on the other coast. And um, that one's that's been going for about a month and a half, going smooth. We're doing, now, do you have crews at all these different ones? Or, or Yes. Yeah. yeah, we have project managers, superintendents, yeah. and, and full crews. Sure. And uh, we just... Started up again, there was a minor pause. At a, it's a Jack Nicholas signature design in Boca Raton, Florida, at Via Meisner Golf Club. We just got started again last week on that one. And then we are on a, uh, a job with Medalist Golf out in Branson, Missouri. And that one is, uh, we're working, the owner of that is Johnny Morris, the guy that owns Bass Pro and Cabela's. Yeah. And Tiger Woods is the architect. Nice. And we've got about three holes in the driving range left to go there, and we just entered into our third year working on that project. Yeah. It's an unbelievable construction project. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. But what they're doing out there in Missouri is, is really amazing. Have you got to spend any time with Tiger? Has he been there? I saw him one time, one of his visits, and I was at the Medalist Golf Construction Trailer, and he and Johnny Morris walked in front of my truck, and as bad as I wanted to jump out and shake yeah. both their hands and everything, that's just not yeah. what I do in that situation. So I've not met him. Yeah. I've not spent any time with him personally. Um, yeah. But he's there, and truthfully, you know, it'd be great to meet him and shake his hand, but I'm tickled pink just to have the work. Well, if you're listening, Tiger, and see your irrigation guy. No, I had to ask. A beat I mean, up I, black truck. Yeah. yeah, come over. I'll be happy to yeah. shake your hand. Well, um, have you heard any of the podcasts before? I have. Yeah. I have. I've, I've heard, uh, I believe it's two of them. Yeah. The one you had with Brad Marcy. Yeah. And um, now I could be misspeaking. You were speaking on one of your podcasts to somebody about Sweeten's Cove. Yeah, Brent Robertson. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, that was I listened to that one as well, and I 
picked those up off of you on Twitter, and they caught my ear because I had done yeah. both of those projects. Yeah. So, yeah, I was interested. So those are the two that I've listened to, yeah. Well, I've had fun uh, doing these, and I've sat down with a bunch of different guys in our industry, and, and we've just talked to sh- shop and golf, and a lot of that's been, you know, a lot of past experiences and things. But I know, um, you know, getting you on here is, is – is going to be informational for a lot of people who may be going through an irrigation renovation or considering one. So one of the things I'd like to do is kind of walk through your side of it and sort of, and I can kind of interject on, cause I, we've worked together on a, on some projects and, and Brad, you work with Brad and, you know, some local guys, but so what are the things that if, how, when do you become involved um, how do you get to be in part of the process and some, what are some of the things that might set you guys out apart if somebody's considering doing a renovation? Most of the time we get involved either through the irrigation consultant slash designer. Sure. Or we hear about it from the material suppliers, whether it be Toro, Rainbird, uh, either side, you know, we got a lot of relationships on both sides of that all over the, right southeast really all over the east eastern half of the u.s um so that's typically where we hear about it so we come a little later in the process most of the time when i become aware of a job they've already hired an irrigation consultant and the design is either being done or just about to be done and at that point we'll catch wind of it or be invited to be a part of the bid list and and then we get involved now occasionally We'll be on the front end of all that if I have a past relationship. Right. You know, if somebody else in Murfreesboro is thinking about doing something and Brad Marcy tells them he had a good experience with us, yep. then, you know, I may get involved and I may recommend a consultant or designer to them, but that's pretty rare. Yeah. Usually, you know, we're kind of the second or third cog after the designer, then the distributor, right. and then we'll be involved. Do you have a lot of relationships? I'm assuming you do have relationships with several irrigation consultants. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I would and I would I would say if I if somebody's listening, my recommendation would be to go that route. I mean, you might uh, as far as when you're getting ready to do an irrigation project, um, unless you don't unless you know Stephen personally, I would say hiring a consultant to walk you down this path is probably is in my opinion the best route to go. Yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, and I'll give back when we first got started. When I worked for A and F, and when I first got started, there were, you know, there was a decent percentage of the jobs that uh, we may end up contracting direct with them, yeah. and they just had a design, whether it was from a distributor or a consultant or a designer, but they didn't have the him hired in a consulting role, right? And we would flag the heads, and, you know, once we got on site, we would do everything. Right. And we're capable of doing that, And but it's very rare now. Like Pelican Bay, I mentioned down in Naples, um, that that club's been Toro forever. They decided they wanted to go with Wesco Turf. Wesco Turf provided them a design. They hired uh, Sean Hyduck with AquaTurf to do the design for them, and then we got the contract. But at this day and age, rather than us flag it and do a lot, we hired Sean yeah. under our contract to do all the staking, the programming, the GPS, all that. Uh, so, yeah, that's 
Yeah. That's just how we. I mean, we do. it keeps it separate because you know if if my if the contractor or the distributor is in charge of the design and the flagging of the heads, not that any of us would be dishonest, but it's yeah. it's a conflict of interest, right? You know, and by a, a club hiring a consultant, they're paying him, and he's designing and looking out for their interest, right? The whole time, and even if you know, if you hire us, we're an honest contractor, but there's still a could be a perceived conflict there, right? And so I, I like the consultant route. This may be hard or difficult to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. How do you feel like the the selection of the products go in your line of work. Do you see that being a superintendent decision? Um, is it is it a preference for the superintendent, maybe somebody at the club, or is it a distributor that gets involved, or is it a combination of a lot of things? It's definitely a combination of a lot of things that can a lot of times include politics. Yeah. But when it goes right and proper in my mind – the superintendent's preference definitely is a is a big weighing factor. Right. And behind his closed doors, he's discussing that with his at least his board, sure. if not broader membership, because a lot of times they're really close, but not every time. Yeah. So that's where the board and the members need to be involved because it's their money. Yeah. That's being spent. Um so that's that's where I think it needs to come from. Now, if they come in and you can kind of throw a hat over the numbers and they're really close, that's where the superintendent's preference and comfort level right. come in. And, you know, and I, I told probably two different clubs this last week, I tell them all the time, whether it be Rainbird or Toro, if we put it in, it's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to work. They, they both work, and you're not going to have a problem. I always recommend these guys base their decision, even outside of their preference, take a strong look at your distributor. Because that, you're marrying us, in a sense, for the, the next year to five years, depending on the install and our warranty period. Yeah. But you're marrying that distributor for the life <laughs> of your irrigation system. Sure. You know, and they're giving you the parts you need to maintain it and and a lot of tech support at times if yeah. there's problems or lightning strikes or so you know they need to take a hard look at distribution because it that matters to me a lot more than the strict rainbird or toro decision and i only say that because rainbird and toro both have good products that sure. work really well they're highly competitive and they both work yeah. so you know i can't advocate or bash on either one of them but yeah. distribution plays a big role yeah I, I i tend to agree wholeheartedly i mean it's really comes down to that when service i mean that's that's where i i believe a superintendent's preference comes from who they've worked with in the past who they're more comfortable with who they might have a relationship with a salesperson mm -hmm. i mean that tends to be where that preference comes into play um and so you know when you get down to it, that's they're going to go with who they are comfortable with. More yeah. So I mean, yeah, it, and and they should because you know there's a lot of clubs where I may have just heard of this country club for the first time two months ago, yeah. and I'm involved and I'm bidding their project, 
but there may be a Toro or a Rainbird salesman that's been servicing this club for 20 or more years. Yeah. And, you know, so if the superintendent is deriving a preference from his experience there, whether it be good or bad, it's extremely valid, Yeah. in my opinion. Do you ever come across any situation, I'm sure you have, you don't have to mention names, but that where you're just like, I'm going this regardless. I mean, this is what I'm, this is what I want. This is what I'm come. Have you come across situations like where that? I'm thinking that or the no, club? The, the club. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. taking you out of that decision. Yeah, yeah. I don't assume you have a to say in that. No, I don't. Yeah. I mean, um, but yes. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah. All the time. And just like I mentioned in instances where, you know, if there's a, a salesman and a distributor and they've been servicing this club for 20 years and, He's been out there late at night or on weekends or, you know, just really doing a great job. Then they come up for a big renovation of their irrigation system, and they're like, no, we want this guy. I mean, I see that quite often. Yeah. Quite often. I would suspect, I mean, golf golf was really booming in the early 90s to throughout the 90s i mean got they were building golf courses left and right yes and this the, we're getting on what 30 years now mm-hmm. you know pretty much i and what what do you what do you tell people the recommend the lifespan of say an irrigation system is then now the processes may be different now but back then they were pretty much all pvc in the ground you know wires got to you know fade out over time you got heads that are gonna so uh, i mean a lot of people are facing this situation I would assume golf oh, yeah. courses that have been built in the nineties are saying, you know, we got We probably got to do something. Yeah. I mean, and you know, there's a lot of superintendents. Some of them are really on their game and they track their expenses, what they're spending, fixing yeah. leaks yeah. and dealing with problems. And to present that as an argument right. to their board and their membership that we, Hey, we got to do something. But yeah, I mean, you know, 25, 30 years for the systems that were installed back then. Yeah. Is is when they the problems start to become so many that it makes sense to do something. So how how and how long do you guys usually warranty? Does it, is it happen to you have a specific pretty, time frame or pretty standard? Most of our the specs that come out for us to bid against or with um, call for a one year warranty. Now with the HDPE, we see a lot of, some of them are just straight up five-year warranty on everything, but a lot of them we're seeing a five-year warranty on the fusion and the pipe and things like that, where it may be one year elsewhere, but then Toro and Rainbird are offering five-year warranties on heads and swing joints, and so it was very standard for years past that it was one but we're starting to see a lot of fives now in the warranty period and we've always uh you know we hold pretty firm if uh you know if somebody has a problem on a job that i've done yeah and it's just straight up something that was our fault we go fix it yeah and, you know, and a lot of times we'll get the call because we're the guy they know and the relationship they have. Right. Whether they plan on us fixing it for free or not, we'll go fix it. But once we do and we realize what it is, that'll determine, well, do we send them a bill or not? Sure. Now, if one of their guys dug through it with a mini X, we'll fix it for them and we'll send them a fair bill. Right. But if it was something that was just, you know, a 
faulty install or a mistake one of my guys made, we'll fix it and just yeah. make and it And you go know away. pretty quickly if that's the case, don't you? Yeah. Typically. Yeah, usually it's pretty yeah. easy to tell what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, since you mentioned the HDPE and then that new process of of pipe and how, how that's kind of changed the irrigation, some of the nuances of that and what you have to kind of go through. And, and then for people that may not even know what it is, you might have to describe it a little bit. Okay. Yeah. It's the, the HDP, the, the, you know, high density polyethylene. And it's, if anybody's ever seen the yellow pipes up on the side of the road for gas lines, I mean, the gas companies used it for years, Yeah. but it's making, Huge inroads into the irrigation industry, water, sewer for municipalities. I mean, you see it everywhere now. Um, we put our first, the first HDPE system we installed was in 2009. And that was over here just outside of Franklin. And from that point to now, say we averaged over the whole course of time, we're a little bigger and do a little more work now. But for that whole course of time, I might have averaged six or seven jobs a year, mm -hmm. six to eight. And uh, from 2009 to, to now, we have probably installed four PVC systems, and the rest have all been HDPE. Yeah. And uh, those four we installed that way, uh, typically it's a – it's the superintendent's decision because him and his staff are more comfortable with that. Right. And, and I get that. Yeah. I get that. I, I've had several that felt that way coming in, but as we could talk to them about it and educate them about the, the HDP route, they decided to go that way because it's not as daunting as, as people think. Right. I mean, when we show up to do a job, We'll show up with large fusion machines and every kind of fusion machine you can imagine. And it's probably, you know, on any individual job, we might have, we'll have in excess of $100,000 worth of fusion equipment. But I tell people all the time, when we go back to fix problems or leaks or breaks, I don't ever show up with a $60,000 fusion machine. I show up with a $3,500 electro fusion box that plugs into a generator and... They sell couplings and T's and everything else. And you plug two leads in, scan it with a barcode like you're at the grocery store, and it burns it in. Yeah. And it's it's just like a repair coupling for PVC. You just hook the leads to it, scan it, and it burns it in instead of greasing the gaskets and hammering it back. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, it's definitely, it's taken over. It's the vast majority of the work, and it's, yeah. it's without a doubt what I would recommend. Uh, like, to bring Brad Marcy up again, they chose to go with PVC, and that was a huge system, especially right. for Middle Tennessee. But they had to because the water that comes into their course for them to irrigate with from their neighbor comes in at a higher temperature. Right. And there was some research out there suggesting that that would not mesh well with the HDPE. Yeah. And so they, they were forced because of that to go with PVC but just from my experience over my career, we go back to the HDP systems drastically less than we do the PVC for problems. Right. You know, pipes pushing out, rolled gaskets, whatever. Yeah. Um, the HDPs just, you know, it, it seems to be a better product 
for especially for the golf course irrigation. I I I would agree. I mean, do you think that um, there's just a level of comfort that some superintendents have as far as not really understanding all about the HDP? I mean, it was a learning curve for you. I'm you know, and now you guys are masters at it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you guys may be the leaders in HDP installation. There there probably is others, but there I are. Mean, you guys are you guys are have been the ones that kind of took the ball and run with it and. You know, I, I, I do – I think there's a lot of times guys question, what happens if it leaks? I don't have anything to fix it. I don't know what to do. That's the and, biggest and, thing right. we, we hear at where their fear comes from, and that's when I try to, you know, explain to them it's, it's not this big daunting yeah. thing to be fearful of. It's something your staff could be trained to do and – you know, as far as making repairs to the system, right. the staff could be trained to do that in, in a few hours. Yeah. And by the machine, you know, they could be fully invested for less than $5,000. And if they're going to go that route and put it in an HDP system, we'll include this tooling and everything as a part of the material bid when you've got people competitively bidding it. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to be in, if you're spending, you know, 800000 to a million dollars in materials, you got $5,000 worth of electrofusion equipment in there right. just to serve your repair purposes later. Um, yeah. It's do you all spend time with guys on, on site teaching them, or do you go through that, or is that yes, something they Yes, we do. Um, the, vast, the vast majority of jobs we do still to this day, 10 years later, yeah. most of our projects on the front end, it's in the – the designer specification that we have to have on-site training for our crew. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've heard, you know, some in the past kind of are naysayers about it. Well, we've been trained this many times. We've always had an open attitude about it. I think it's good. I want my crews to be sharp sure. and up on the latest because the training has changed over the years as the, you know, the manufacturers, McElroy, and that make the fusion equipment yep. or make the pipe, they learn things from all their field experience, and so they'll adjust their training. But So most jobs will have HDP training on site, yeah. um, last anywhere from a full day to sometimes three days, and that's for our crew but the superintendent and their staff, anybody they want on their staff, are always invited to attend, and most times they do. Right. Um, you know, and that that gives them the knowledge to deal with it after we're gone. But it also gives them the knowledge to know what we're doing while we're out there doing it. Yeah. You know, so they they got an educated eye on what we're doing every day. Yeah. Well, and we should. encourage it. That's yeah. you know, I'm all for it. Yeah. We always try to do the right thing and. And I don't mind questions, and, you know, I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. It keeps the quality for up. Sure, for sure. And you want your product, I mean, what you're putting out there, you want it to, you know, it says a lot about what you guys do, but to not have superintendents bad talk and thinking they made a, a bad decision, and it not just be because they didn't want to learn. You know, you right. want them to you want them to get in there and try to understand it because it is a new way of doing things. It's a better way of doing things, in my opinion, and and it's the new way of ir that irrigation is going in. So learning it is. it is part of the job. You know. Yeah, and you know, we talked earlier about the lifespan of the systems put in in the '90s and before that, and some even after that. You know, being 
20 to 30 years. Well, the lifespan on these now is 50 years plus. Yeah. You know, at least on the pipe and the HDP component. Yeah. You know, now you may run into the thing where your swing joints are wearing out before your pipe is or your yeah. heads. Or, right. You know. Because that the swing joints, correct me if I'm wrong, are still PVC, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yes, they yeah. are. That, they are. I know when we were doing the project at Brentwood, and you may not – I don't know if you saw the pump station, but, you know, we had – we ended up going HDPE, the flume pipe out to the lake, the well – and everything. So mm-hmm. except for the little, uh, the Z pipe coming from the pump and then reconnecting, all that was HDP, every bit of it yeah. was going out. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I'll bring up Pelican Bay again, cause I was just looking at it with uh, another superintendent came by Pelican Bay last week that he's got a project coming up next summer and yep. he wanted to come out and see the products, watch what we were doing, get familiar with HDP and us yep. and, but they have a brand new pump station installed there at Pelican Bay. Well, they had an existing corrugated wet well and PVC flume pipe. I assume the flume was PVC. I'm not positive. It could have been corrugated as well. But they had someone come in. Now, we didn't do this, but they had someone come in, and they lined their old wet well and their old intake with HDPE, put a new pump on top of it. Then we... Tied on at the pump, ran a new HDP Z pipe, and the whole system's HDP. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the that's golden right it there. It is. Yeah. It is golden. And yeah. it's cheaper, drastically cheaper than blowing up what they had. Yeah. Digging in a new wet well and flume pipe and draining the lake. And yep. that's you know, that can get to be some pretty heavy construction cost and yeah. just lined it all and now they're good for fifty years on on a wet well and flume that, you know, could be going bad in the next five. Yeah. So for someone that may be listening from a cost perspective, is there, do you see a significant difference with PVC versus HDPE? And has that been a factor as far as someone choosing one over the other? Or does the, the, the length of time that HDPE lasts kind of outweigh all that? How does that sort of play in for someone who's, Maybe considered. Well, um, to be honest, and some of this comes from our experience and the fact that we own all the fusion equipment and we've been doing it for years. Yeah. And, but it's not a straight-out straight, straight out bias to PVC, even though if we do PVC, we know we're going to go back more. Yeah. But straight-up cost, we put in HDP cheaper than we do PVC every time. If people want it bid both ways... It's like clockwork. We're going to be cheaper for HDP, and it's not all on the labor side. The HDP pipe itself is slightly more expensive than the PVC pipe itself if you're just looking at the two pipe quotes. Right. But then you factor in HDP fittings compared to ductile iron fittings, and you get a flip. Yeah. And, uh, and then you factor in the labor involved with the HDP, because I can... You know, we'll show up at the beginning of the job, and we've received 40,000 feet of mainline pipe from 4-inch through, you know, 18-inch. And we'll show up. I'll put two guys out there with a fusion machine on each side of them, and they'll fuse this one side, and there's a cool-down period after you press them together. So while they're waiting on the cool-down period for this machine, they spin around and get on the other machine and do everything and face it and heat it and fuse it together. 
And then while it's cooling down, they flip around. I can put two guys out there with two machines, and we just start pumping out footage. They all show up in bundles that are 50-foot sticks. So right out of the gates, we'll go to fusing like crazy. I've got a lot of pictures, you know, yeah. where we've got four to six fusion machines out on a fairway with guys just fusing like mad. We'll turn all those 50-foot sticks into 500-foot sticks. So when we actually start the job and we start digging mainline, um, you know, we dig down the entire hole. We might have uh, one or two welds to make, and we got 1,500 feet of pipe. Yeah. Fused together, they flop in the ditch. Now we got to put our feed valves and different things on there. Versus PVC, you dig the ditch, then you start bringing the pipe to it, stringing it out, getting it in the hole, hubbing it up every 20 feet. Um, I found the HTPE takes less labor on my side, yeah. but the labor you have now compared to the PVC day, it's a higher quality employee, right. more trained. Yeah. Um, you know, just there's, there's more detail and stuff in their job duty, but it takes less of them. I would think that that's eye-opening to some people who may be considering doing this because of what you're talking about is the install is so much cleaner. You're doing things. You, you've, got, you've got prep and different things that you're trying to do. So when you're ready to rock and roll with the trenching and all that, I mean, it, it just goes so much cleaner and quicker. And, and I, I think people that hear this and say that PVC can't be cheaper – or, you know, or HDP can't be cheaper and that, that they're virtually identical, they're going to be blown away by the fact that, yeah, you can put in HDP. It's a better, cleaner product. You're going to like it. You're going to appreciate it. It's going to be there longer. And given or, give or take a few hiccups along the way, you're, you're going to be golden. And don't worry, and the price is not as big a factor. No, not at all. I mean, and you know, I actually had a conversation with a, with a gentleman last week that, was talking to me that I'd talked to a lot in the past and they were on another job with another contractor and they were pricing some things out and he called me and he said, man, I thought you, you know, that uh, the HTP was slightly cheaper from talking to you. And I said, well, it is. And he said, well, I'm not getting this from, from this particular contractor. And this is a small job. Yeah. Um, and I asked him, I said, well, does he own any fusion equipment? And he said, well, no. And I said, well, there you have it. Yeah. If, if you're talking to somebody and all they've ever done is PVC and they don't own the fusion equipment and it's not cheap. Right. You know, then, yeah, the PVC is going to be cheaper. Right. But if you talk to somebody like us, and I've had several competitors are in the same boat, uh, competitors of mine, but, you know, if you're all set up in it and you're fully capable of doing both, been my experience the HDP is cheaper it certainly is with us is, is that a reason they have to rent the fusion machines and all that or how why is why is their cost more either either the having to rent the fusion machines with you know if you got to rent one for more than like two or three weeks yeah if you can do simple math you need to be buying it right um but either that or they're just or having to buy it you yeah. know if they're bidding a job and the customers wanting them to price it both ways, and they own no fusion equipment, and they're going to have to go buy. They're putting it in the eighty thousand dollars worth of stuff. Yeah. Well, they're not going to bid the HDP. You know, they're going to recoup some of those costs, and I get that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did. Yeah. On one of my first jobs. Right. 
You're not hearing anything? I'm not anymore. Uh, I might have pulled it out. Um, hang on a second. Did I do it right there? I might have yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, folks. We got headphone issues. Just uh, reconnected back there, and all right, you good? You go. back online? Yeah. There you go. Um, so, what made you decide to? Um, buy, I guess obvious. The obvious question here is: you, buying the equipment was the, a decision because you knew this was what you were going to be doing. Most likely was the HDP. It was a hunch. I, yeah, it was. I was early on it. It was a hunch. I had seen, a, there had been a few ba a bids that had come out and that I wasn't involved with because I didn't do it. Right. Uh, in Florida, and most of those were golf courses in Florida that were being built on landfills. And it was gonna, they were anticipating massive settlement over the years. Yeah. And so they were going to line it with, with an HDP or some kind of membrane then build a golf course on top of it, and they wanted all the irrigation to be HTP so it could absorb the settlement without yeah. everything leaking everywhere. And I missed out on those. And um, but I at that point I'd started talking to people and learning about it. Well, then um, the this job over here and outside of Franklin, Tennessee, was coming up, and I wanted it really bad, and yeah. I ended up getting it. But so that's when I bid that job and I was awarded the contract and that's when I stepped out on a limb and I went, I think I spent about $120,000 and bought all the fusion equipment. Yeah. And that ended up being in 2009, at right Ooh. when the downturn hit us off. I mean, yeah. yeah, my timing was wonderful yeah. <laughs> as far as that goes to go, you know, borrow money and do that. Yeah. But now hindsight, I'm, I'm really happy I did it. Yeah. But that was kind of the reason why I, I had seen a few bids pass me by because we weren't into it. Yeah. And after talking and learning from people about it, it made a lot of sense for golf course installations because you think when you're putting an irrigation system in on the golf course, well, you're dodging tees, greens, bunkers, yep. drainage, cart paths, and all the other obstacles that come up when right. we're doing it. You know, and with PVC, most of the time you're using fittings and bending around it. And when I saw this HDP was, you know, it took a lot of that out. Right. And, and it was a lot tougher, had a longer lifespan. So I kind of went with a hunch and just got lucky because yeah. it wasn't long after that our whole industry turned. Right. And we were already involved, thank goodness. Talk a little bit about how you do – you, do you get a, the bid or the proposal and you have to work with it? Or I, I know that's not really the answer – the question I'm asking, but, like, every job is different. Every pro place is different. You touched on it about dodging different things. How involved are you in the routing of, say, the pipe and that? Or is, or do you have to kind of work with what the, the irrigation consultant comes up with and then you sort of formulate your proposal or your uh, bid after that? Yeah, I mean – Because the, there's always something. Rock. Oh, there's yeah. all kinds of different things you may not even know about. And so I want to I talk – walk people through sort of – what might be involved with you coming up with, say, a particular number? Because, uh, you know, digging under cart pass, different things like that happen, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so a lot of times the the designer 
we'll put out the design for bid. Yep. And, you know, in most, most all cases, the designer has spent a lot of time on the site with the superintendent. So there's a lot of that information that is included yep. as a part of the bid package to give us the knowledge of this is what you're bidding and this is what you're going to have to deal with. And then there's almost always a pre-bid meeting where we'll go and the designer will go through a lot of these points. You'll hear from the superintendent mm -hmm. and he can stress, you know, what his issues are, what he's really worried about or wants to make sure is done a certain way. Sure. And then we'll go out and ride the course and, you know, and that is what our bid is based on. Now, once we get out there, my project managers and superintendents will be dealing directly with the, the entire maintenance staff. And there's still a hundred other things, if not a thousand other things that do come up because yeah. nobody knew this big rock shelf was there or, you know, it wasn't until we got out there working and got locate tickets called in, you realize this gas line snaked all through six holes right. or things like that. So there's, you know, you learn about a lot during the bid process, and the, the designer has a lot of it figured out through conversations with the super, but then things always come up, Yeah. you know, and we just deal on site with the superintendent. Yeah. Um, and it's pr it's pretty rare something comes out like oh my gosh we've never seen that before <laughs> right you know we a lot of it's pretty typical and yeah. we even know to ask right you know if we don't see it in the in the specifications or on the design you know there may be things that we've stubbed our toe on in the past and be like hey well yeah. what about this yeah I I think you guys have probably done enough to know you, you're not going to be surprised by a whole lot not anymore. a whole lot yeah. But I won't say anything because <laughs> it'll happen next week That's right. if I talk too much. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the company overall, how it's set up. Um, talk a little bit about your relationship with Clay and you guys and how you guys are sort of set up. You've got a lot of projects going now. How many employees you got? What are you, what are you juggling from a business owner's perspective? Talk a little bit about that because I'm sure that's pretty much your – I mean, with everything you got going, you're you got to be bouncing around. So, oh yeah, talk a little bit about the business side of it. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. You know, and I told kind of the startup story how I got in the industry. Yeah. Well, and then I mentioned the job outside of Franklin. Um, I won't name any names that we did in 2009. It was our first HCPE job. Mm -hmm. I'd bought over a hundred thousand dollars worth of fusion equipment to do it, and at this time, I was the sole owner of the company. Um. And I, I remember sitting on that job site thinking to myself how smart I was, that I had dodged this whole housing crisis, you know, yeah. and my business was in good shape. Just everything was great. And it wasn't soon, it wasn't too long after that that we stopped getting paid on that project. And what had happened was these owners had purchased the property in 2007 and they had gone and they had gotten a $25 million loan to develop the neighborhood and build the golf course and put all the infrastructure in, street, power, water, sewer. Well, they had permitting issues, so they didn't get started in 2008. So we got going in 2009, yeah. and we worked all year 2009 doing it. Well, it was in one of the two banks' charters that they couldn't lend any money if the appraisal on the property was more than two years old. So they came in July of 2009, did a new appraisal, 
And because of the housing market debacle in the entire United States, sure. the ratios were out of whack, and they froze the funding. They wouldn't lend another dollar. They had already lent 20 of the $25 million, and we only had three or four holes left to go. Yeah. We chose to go ahead and finish, thinking there was hope of getting paid if we got it grassed out, but we didn't. I didn't get paid my last $187,000 on that job. Well, then the summer of the spring of 2010, I had at this time, I was a two-job-at-a-time company. I had two jobs lined up for the summer of 2010, and the last week in February, I'll never forget it, both of those jobs called me. They had verbally awarded the jobs to me, but I didn't have contract. Right. Both of those projects called me in the same week and told me they had decided to wait and postpone their project because of the housing crisis, banking mess. Yep. And so I had no work the summer of 2010. So I'd been beat out of the $187,000. I'd bought $100,000 worth of fusion equipment. I had no work for the next several months. I let go every employee I had except for one, and he lived here in Tullahoma with me. I fired my local mowing guy, and he and I mowed grass on some properties and stuff I owned that summer. Yeah. So I had a job for the fall of 2010 at Stonehenge Country Club in Crossville. Mm-hmm. And that was no easy project, let me tell you. Um, So I went to a local bank here in town because I was mortgaged to the hilt. And I had no money. And I needed money to operate on to do this job. And that's where I'd known my partner, Clay Esselton, all my life. Uh, He was my older sister's age. And we'd always known each other, but he was president of the bank at the time that I went to. And he got me a $100,000 line of credit, and we started doing that job. And a little, you know, as 2010 went on, we got into early 2011, he asked me to go to lunch one day, and he told me that uh, he'd always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. He played golf at the University of South Carolina. He, he really wanted to be in the golf industry, and that he was about to uh, leave the family business there of a of the bank and uh, he wanted to buy half my company. And so a little later that year, Clay and I partnered up in 2011. And, um, you know, so that's how the two of us got together. And we had, we had agreed at that point um, that, and it worked out perfectly and it still does to this day that he was going to take more of the administrative role and the office role. He was going to bid the work and do the billings, and and do all those sorts of things, and I was going to manage the field. And it was a huge blessing. Not only did it give me some more credit, because I couldn't have borrowed $10 from somebody at that point if I had to, which he freed that up for us, made operations a lot easier. Right. But also, this whole time I had owned the company by myself, I was never in the field like I wanted to be. I was never doing what I wanted to do and what I was good at. Right. I was bidding jobs and going to pre-bids and trying to get the billings out and deal with the banks and you know, and I I was not happy. Yeah. I did lot I did not like my role. And so Clay was fi- 
he wanted to do those things. Yeah. That's what he was really comfortable with. I was really comfortable with the equipment and the guys and the field and the install. And so that was our agreement up front, and it still remains intact to this day, and it has worked wonderfully. Yeah. You know, and we don't, we don't share a lot of the same skills. We complement each other. That's what make great partner. That's it, what make great partnerships. It has. I mean, it has. If you go, both had the same skill set, it wouldn't work. Yeah, right. it'd be a lot of redundancy. Yeah, you know. But he does his thing, and I do mine, and together, um, I can't tell you. I, I'm so blessed. Yeah. You know that that he was he was wanting to make that move and thought enough of me and my company because he he could see my books. Obviously, I'd done this line of credit with him, so sure. they had access to everything. And, yeah. He even told me, he's like, man, you've got a good company here, and you guys have done well. It's just you took a bad beat right. last fall. So he had the faith in us to, to come on and do it, and, and that's worked great. And at the, time, um, at the time we partnered up, I think the company was about $1.2 million in debt, and we were doing about two jobs at a time. And now we have... Absolutely no debt. We've been that. We've been debt free for a couple of years, and that was our goal. Sure, and we want to stay that way. And and we've got crews on six projects. Yeah, and so it's it's been great. You the, know, now how are your crews set up? You have you you touched on a little bit before. You got project managers and superintendents, and and then are those crews stay with each other? Or they you know, or do you intermingle them a lot? How does that work? For you? Yeah, typically. They, they stay together. There's a lot of intermingling. All my crews and project managers know the others, yeah. and odds are most of them have worked together. Yeah. Um, now, they're all your employees, right? They are. They're yeah. all our employees. Yeah. We put them up in housing everywhere we go, depending yeah. on where we go. Um, but it's, it's worked out great. I've got, uh, I've got four project managers right now. In, uh, I've got Joe Pless. He's a good friend of mine here from Tullahoma. He's been with us for about a year and a half. I've got Chris Hartman. He's been with me yeah, since Chris. 2011. Yep. Chris and I worked together way back in the NF days. We both worked for my father-in-law. Yeah. And he's as solid as they come. Then I've got uh, I've got Jason Whitson works for me. He owned his own irrigation company in Atlanta, and he came to work for me several years back. Because his market in Atlanta, he didn't go much outside of that. His market in Atlanta was slow at the time, and we were busy in Florida. Yeah. And he came on board, but he enjoyed so much doing the field and what he does and not having to worry about payroll and banking and chasing work that he's just, he stayed with us. Yeah. I've got another project manager, Rich Young, who owned his own irrigation company, he actually sold Jason that irrigation company. Right. Uh, just all wonderful guys. And then uh, to complete that, you know, we've got a group of guys that I ran across. One more stroke of luck. But in 2011, we were doing the golf course up here for the University of Swanee. And the, the superintendent from Breakers West, when I did that, um, Brad called me, and I didn't recognize his number, um, but he called me up out of the blue the winter of 2011, and, and he said, hey, man, he said, uh, I just took the job as the superintendent for the Blue Monster at Doral, 
and they're going to renovate starting next year everything out here, but they're going to do the red course and the gold course. And um, he said, and you're in a good spot. I told him how great you were. We got a good relationship. Yep. I want you to do it. And I told him when, when he told me that, I said, well, Brad, that sounds great. And I've been invited to bid it. I said, but I've got two jobs next summer, and I've got two crews. And so I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. And he's like, man, you got to figure it out. You got to be able to do it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. I hung up with him. Well, probably three or four days later, Polo Navarro called me. And I had worked on the same job with Polo in the late 90s down at Boca Hotel and Resort. He was for one company. I was for another. They were doing mainline. I was doing laterals. Polo called me out of the blue. He had been working for George Jones, DNK Sprinklers in South Florida for years and years. Well, George was getting up in age and was wanting to retire. And at this point, he had officially was going to retire. And he had told all his guys, I'm out. And it's one of the biggest compliments I've ever had in this industry. George Jones told Polo, he's like, you guys need to call Stephen Nutt. He's about your age. Y'all can work a long time together. And he's honest in his dealings. And for George, a guy like George, to give me that kind of to refer his employees to me, and they were more like his sons. Right. It was a huge compliment. So Polo called me, and he, two or three days after the superintendent had called me, and he said, hey, Stephen, it's Polo. We kind of caught up for a few minutes. He said, are you bidding Doral? I said, well, you know, I've been asked to. As a matter of fact. I'm on the bid list. <laughs> I said, but Polo, I got two crews, and I already got two jobs. He said, oh, no. He said, you bid it. I got the people, we'll do it for you. I said, Polo, this, they're doing the red and the gold course. They're doing 36 holes. Donald Trump just bought it, and he wants to do it in four months. And that's typically what we do 18 holes in. Yeah. You know, and he said, oh, no problem. I said, Polo, it's going to take like 40 or 50 people. He said, I got them, man. I got them. <laughs> I said, where are you at? And he was working in West Palm Beach on a rescom job. I drove down to West Palm Beach. I wanted to meet with him face to face. Right. And I was like, man, do you realize? And we sat there and talked face to face, and he shook my hand. He said, you get that job, I'll put it in for you. And so I went down there. We submitted a bid. We're in a good spot. I negotiated with, not with Trump himself, but with uh, Matt Calamari, who's a New Jersey, he was Trump's guy for yeah. negotiation, and it yeah. was no joke. Right. Negotiated the whole deal with them, um, and we won the job, and you talk about nervous and being out <laughs> on a limb. Yeah. Because had Polo and them come up with something better or not held to their word, and we, it was just a handshake right. between me and a guy I worked with 15 years ago, but they didn't do that. They showed up and absolutely knocked it out of the park. Polo's the one putting in Pelican Bay right now. His brother's putting in Bonita Bay. Yeah. And there's a whole vast group of that came on there where I absorbed more or less George Jones's company. Right. Um, but I could, you know, Lucio and Aubert and Beto, I could sit there and name all these guys that are invaluable to me that I absorbed yeah. at that time. And, and they've trained up countless crews and countless guys sure. since then. And just another complete fluke stroke of luck. Well, man, you put yourself in the right positions to be there. And, and you know, sometimes, it, you know, 
there's always wins and losses, and there you've taken some of those losses, and but you've also gotten taken advantage of the opportunities, and they come your way, and and you know I can't I can't commend you enough. I know the the work you do and and firsthand, and and just to have those opportunities and those guys. I mean, you speak highly of them. I hope they get to hear this and talk. You know, hear you talk about how you're appreciative of them, and I and uh, you know you don't probably get to tell them enough. And, you know, your relationship with Clay is huge, and you can see that. And and um, so that's awesome. I mean, it's yeah. a great story. And, you know, people need to understand who they're getting when they get nut irrigation and you guys. And, you know, and we can vouch for you all we want. But, you know, you guys putting it down on the ground and doing it. So Yeah, you know, and last week well, I mentioned that superintendent came over to to see everything we were doing at Pelican Bay and, we had kind of taken him through, and we had a mainline operation over here, and we were fusing pipe on this fairway, and we were putting in laterals here. And he, uh, you know, he asked me, he said, well, Stephen, he said, all these moving parts, he said, how, how do you keep it all together? <laughs> you know, and, and I told him, and it just, I had never really thought of it, but I told him, it was one simple answer, good employees. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's how, I, if this was Stephen Nutt managing all this, yeah. I'd be getting terrible references. Sure. You know, it's it's the quality employees. And mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of turnover. And there's because, man, I am really good friends with my guys. Right. And, you know, there's deep relationships there. And they help me. I help them. and But I, I know where my bread's buttered. Sure. Are you set up now that you could take on even more work? Or do you, do you kind of say, if, if somebody called you tomorrow, how far would you out would you be? We, uh... We are booked through the end of this year. Yeah. We are, we are looking for something for the January, February, March time frame. Next summer is going to be busier than this summer. Sure. Um, so yeah. you typically have downtime in your scheduling regardless. I mean, there's, all, you know, just the nature of the weather and things you have. So you're set up to pretty much get started in the, the go season, but you have some downtime that you would like to fill, but you, you typically – what does your typical year look like now? Typically, we'll do uh, five or six jobs in the summer. Yeah. And just because of the time of the year and the economy, a lot of times in the winter, we may only have two to four. Um, and then back to the summer again. Now, yeah. from 2011 to this point right now, we've not had any gaps. Right. Um, and that's another thing, like this past winter – we uh we had a job in 27 hole project in Lakeland, Florida. And then uh that and that was in the fall, like kind of the October, November, December. And then we had a, a 18 hole project in Daytona, Florida at Oceanside Country Club that was kind of January, February, March cuz the big summer swing starts in April for at sure. least for South Florida. Um but though we only had the one job right before Christmas and only the one right after Christmas outside of Missouri. We've been in Missouri right. the whole time. Um, but what we did there, we just swarmed the people to it. And if you call, and it was for the city of Lakeland, um, Lakeland, Florida, and then Oceanside, and they're probably two of the best references on my <laughs> list right now because we flat blew those places out. Right. Both were completed well ahead of schedule, under budget. We just made real short work of it. Yeah. I just piled the people to it. Um, 
you know, and you talk about could we get bigger, and we possibly we could, I'm sure we could, but because I had a consultant two weeks ago telling me how crazy next summer was going to be. He said, how many crews are you running right now? I said, five, and he said, man, you need to double it. I right. mean, there is so much work, and I thought about a lot about that comment, and, and then I, Clay and I talked about it, and we kind of came to the decision getting these good quality people is not easy. Right. And it takes time. I can't just pick up another job and go grab one of these crews like I've got set up now. So that's one thing. And as busy as the whole economy is right now, people are even harder to find, yeah. especially within your budget. Um, and then two, you know, so that's one factor we don't want to get any bigger. And the second is, you know, I told Clay, and we, we're in agreement on this, I don't want to spend this whole economic boom and uptick growing this company, buying equipment, because we'd have to buy more another. If we took on one more job, we'd have to buy another plow that cost 120 grand. We'd have to buy $100,000 worth of fusion equipment. You know, yeah. So the growth is not cheap, sure. and I don't want to spend this whole good period growing just to come to a downturn and have to fire a bunch of people. Yeah. And then I got all kinds of equipment, but no money, <laughs> you know. So we we've decided we're just going to stick where we're at. Yeah. Our prices may float up a little, supply and demand. Sure. And but we're just going to ride through and keep pumping out quality work because that our one and only sales pitch is our reference list. Yeah. And I tell people I probably told you that yeah. when we first met, and that's I tell people that all the time. Here's my reference list. Yeah. Please call everybody. Every job I've ever done is on there. Yeah. And that's our sales pitch. Yeah. And I don't want to lose that. Yeah. You know, and and it, this economy right now, it's it baits people to make mistakes. And you take on that extra job, you get spread a little thin, then yeah. you don't quite perform like you have before. And it's it's a prime time to you know for that to happen and we don't want to do that yeah i think i think you're right in that aspect i i do think there's people gun shy about what happened in 2008 9 especially if you went through it um i think we're set up a little bit differently from a financial market and some stability that's a that's a little bit different than then but i i'm i would be timid if i were in your shoes i mean it's hard you know to that one more job could could go the wrong way or, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, put getting another crew together. So I asked the question because I want to know kind of where your thoughts are on it, but I think it's smart. It's, you know, you've grown to where you're at one out of necessity because you could, the, the, the work is coming, but also because you were able to put good people in good positions mm -hmm. and find them. And that's not the easiest thing to do. Right. Yeah. So, right. I mean, you know, I, I don't know, you know, it would be hard for me to to second guess your decision on whether to take that you know five more jobs or whatever. It's, it sounds great, but at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you. Yeah, and you know, it, it, you're you're more about what you're doing with your company, the quality of the work, and that you can guarantee right now. You know, and yeah. and, and you can stand behind that. So I think that's big. Yeah, you know? and you know, and that's always been our focus was our reputation, the quality of our work, our relationships. I yeah. mean, even, you know, in those times like 2009, 10, and 11, I wasn't making any money. Yeah. I was not a pretty picture on paper. Yeah. But you can call any of my references through that time period, and we did 
a quality yeah. job for them. That's always been our focus above anything else. Yeah. And that, I think that's a big reason where we're at today yeah. is, is because of that. Did you just straight up lose that 187000 or do you, or is it still? No, it's gone. We filed a lien on the property, but, uh, you know, within a year and a half, two years of that, the bank that had it, the bank that had the original loan had the first on the property. Sure. Our liens were second. Yeah. And the bank sold the loan for less than what they were owed. So at that point, everybody else was out. And there was over $6 million worth of liens filed on that property. I can't imagine. But at the point, the bank sold the loan to another bank for less than what they were owed. Yep. All legal avenues were Solved closed. Yeah. Done. That's a bummer, man, but, you know. But, you know, it was. It works out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It does. But I learned a lot of valuable lessons, you know. I've, and I don't ever want to be adversarial with any customers or anything, but I learned right there, you know, had I not finished those last three holes, I probably spent another eighty to to $100,000 finishing the last three holes after I was already not getting paid. Yeah. So if I come do a job now and they're not paying me, Per our contracted agreement, I'm stopping. Yeah. And I, there's not a sales pitch somebody <laughs> could give me to make me change yeah. because of that experience. Right. You know, and, I, and you don't ever want a job to turn out like that or a relationship to go that way. But I've got those calluses. I've been there and done. And no. Yeah. Well, we're I, not working. <laughs> yeah. I think in, you're in your position where you can do that. I mean, you were, at that time, you were thinking, this is going to be all right, and this is the right thing to do. Yeah, it's the right thing to do, yeah. and, and I don't want to go to war. You know, I'm this little small fry. Yeah. This owner owes me all this money. I don't want to draw a line in the sand and say I'm not coming to work and then start a legal battle or any other kind of battle. Yeah. With, you know, I just want to be friendly and get paid, and it didn't work out. Yeah. You know? But that was my thought, sure. was I don't want to go to war with a guy that owes me money, and they're bigger <laughs> and richer and yeah. smarter, and, you know, but it was a faulty thought process, yeah. and I learned my lesson. I hear you. So how did you end You and you may have covered this, but how did you end up in Tullahoma? Is this where you grew up? Born and raised, yeah. So you just don't want to leave, huh? No, man. It's uh, my father... Um, he, he spent four years in the Navy, and then he spent four years at the University of Florida. He's from a dairy farm in upstate New York. Yeah. But his first interview out of college when he graduated was at uh, Arnold Air Force Base out here. Yeah. My, he was an engineer by trade, my dad. And that was his first interview out of college, and he was hired on the spot, and he worked out there for over 40 years. Yeah. So I was born and raised right here, as was my wife, and we dated briefly in high school and then picked up again when she got in college, and um, we've debated on a couple of different occasions to uh, moving down to Florida, because yeah. I've done so much work in Florida, but at the end of the day, it was all about raising kids, Yeah. and in our opinion, you can't find a better place to do it, Yeah. and so we've... We stayed here, and we love it. Yeah. My wife is a teacher here locally, and my girls are in high school and middle school and involved in everything. And, yeah. you know, so 
Yeah, it's just home. Always has been, always will be. I can certainly understand. It's a great, you know, Middle Tennessee is great. I mean, we're just south of Nashville, what, maybe an hour or so, hour and a half. And, I mean, it's just great. I mean, I, I don't blame you. I, I mean, if you, if you can make the travel work and, and all that, and I know you're gone quite a bit. I mean, that's probably a little difficult on the home life and family, but you've adjusted and that's, you know, made it work and being able to stay in where you've grown up, that's, that's yeah. probably big, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have to travel a lot, and at yeah. times it wears, and you don't like to be away. But if you look at the big picture and the well-being of my wife and daughters, it's, I think, definitely the right move. So yep. we're, we're happy we've done it and don't see it changing. I hear you. Do you get to talk to Mike much, Pignato? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, uh, that job in Lakeland uh, I mentioned that we did last fall was yeah. with Mike. Uh, the Nicholas Signature course we're doing in Boca via Meisner, that's with Mike. Yeah. Um, yeah, still to this day, do a lot of work with Mike and that, that I think I already mentioned it, but that first job I got breakers, Mike was integral yeah. and, uh, so yeah, still a great relationship with him. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, and there's several other consultants. I yeah. mean, we do a lot of work with Trevor Holman and Sean Hyduck who were both with AquaTurf, but they both do their own thing. Trevor's yeah. up here in Nashville and Sean's in South Florida. We do a lot of work with Dave Reagan and then there's countless others that we've sure. done work with. Um, but, yeah, a lot of really good relationships. But Mike is one of the strongest. Yeah. Well, when you see him, tell him I said hello. I, I hope he hears this. I, I, I think we follow each other on Twitter and social media, but uh, I don't know if he listens. He's probably busy. Okay. But tell him. I'll make when, sure he listens yeah, to this one. I'll, absolutely, because we'll mention him. Yeah. I, I had a great time, uh, um, you know, working with him, and he, I thought he was absolutely phenomenal in what he does and passionate about it and and uh think he's a great you know irrigation consultant so anybody he is he is he's a smart guy and uh you know mike a lot of ways mike and i are cut from the same cloth and yeah not a lot of frills and pomp and circumstance but it's common sense straight shooting yeah get it done and i think that's what one of the reasons we've always done so well together it just it is what it is yeah do the best thing for the customer, and that's it. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's a great relationship. So do y'all, when you bid a job, do you, do you sort of turnkey it from the start to finish? Is it you, are you dealing with the pump station? How, how are you and you guys involved? Sort of put a bow on this as, in, into what you guys do for the, the client. Um, because I know when we worked together, I, I had like a, another company doing the pump station and, and you guys probably outsource some of that, but do you do a turnkey bid or, or do you kind of take a lot of different factors? No, we, we can and do a lot of times. Um, you know, a lot of times though, the, you know, if you've got an existing pump and it's going to come out and a new one's going to go in, yeah. that can happen through us and we don't lop hardly any cost onto that at all. Yeah. But it could just as easily happen without us. Right. You know, a lot of times the consultant will have the relationship with the pump guys, and he can just get them in there, and that can happen before we ever even arrive on site. Yeah. So, you know, it goes both ways. But we do that now. But we are capable of the whole thing. If you need a new wet well intake, slab, screen, pump, you can do it all. The whole deal, yeah, we, we do a lot of that too. Yeah. It, it just depends on who the players are and, you know, what the scope of the work is. and But if need be, yeah, we definitely do it all a lot of times. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. Well, if anybody's listening and is interested in doing an irrigation renovation or new install, I highly recommend you guys, uh, Nut Irrigation. Call me if you want a reference, but he'll send you one. He, he's got a list a mile long of, of great work, and so um, I would definitely put him on your list of – a short list of guys to put him uh, – put your irrigation system in. He'll do you a, a great job. Well, yeah. I appreciate that, man, and that's, that's what kept these wheels spinning all these years is – it's people talking to guys just like yourself yeah. that we've worked for in the past. And yeah. that's what I tell them, you know, I can, I can sit here and tell you how great I am. I think <laughs> my company is all day. Yep. But the real proof, call them and talk to them when I'm not even around. Yep. And I, I, it speaks volumes, I think. I, I, I certainly would, would agree with you. Yeah. I, I'm no doubt about that. And kudos to you and Clay for, you know, hanging in there and doing it and making it work. And it's it's awesome. So, Good luck to you in the future. I mean, it's it's uh, it looks the the future does look bright for work. It does, you know? yeah. Right now, man, it's a great environment. Yeah. Um, we're, I think everybody's loving this economy. It's nice. <laughs> I hear you. Now, do you specifically just do golf, or are you into anything else? I mean, would you tackle a big residential or commercial? We have in the past. We've uh, we've done you know a lot of the street side and clubhouse and stuff on projects we were already on. Right. Um, we've done at least one large residence, you know, I mentioned this, I was telling somebody's story just the other night, but we did a job last summer that Chris Hartman is on right now, finishing the punch list up, Double Eagle Golf Club in Galena, Ohio, right around Columbus, and it's a top 100 course, Yeah, super nice place. But the gentleman that owns Double Eagle Golf Club also owns, he also owns the uh, Columbus hockey team. So, a few weeks ago, when they were in the playoffs against the Boston Bruins, well, back in 2010, I irrigated a guy's personal property down Wellington, Florida, a 140-acre horse farm. <laughs> but, I mean, he had a pump station right. and golf heads. He had rain guns that threw over his horse paddocks that threw 260 feet. And, but that gentleman was the owner of the Boston Bruins. So, a couple weeks ago, watching the Bruins – play the Columbus team in the playoff hockey. I got a big kick out of that because yeah. it was just me, but yeah. I was like, man, I worked for both these guys. That's, That's pretty awesome. cool. Um, but yeah, I forget what question you even asked me that got uh, me going down that road. I just asked if you ever did any residential or commercial. That's guys, about it. Yeah. Though that his residence in a couple of neighborhoods, but the residential commercial pricing for irrigation is yeah. different than golf. And there's a reason for it that, a lot of the, and not just the fusion equipment, but the Vermeer trenchers and plows, and we own our own boring rig, do all our own road bores. Yeah. And so all the heavy equipment I own, it would be next to impossible to pay for that with res comp pricing. Sure, yeah. It's just a different animal, and so we don't do much, if any, of that. Yep. Just that's not how, that's not how we're geared up. Yeah. Yeah. Where where do you store all your equipment? Do you have storage in different places? I mean, it's constantly moving, so I don't know if you need to store it. But. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. we don't need to store it. Yeah. It goes from one job to the next. Yeah. If I ever do have to bring it to a yard, I got a lot bigger issues <laughs> yeah. than where it's parked. It, <laughs> exactly. My issues are why it's parked. Right. But I, I own a mini storage facility here in Tullahoma, yeah. and it's got an extra side lot, and I've got a shop over there. So 
we you know we got we got some things there that are just too old and junky and retired from the road. Yeah. I need to sell some of that stuff one of these days. But if I ever do need to bring stuff here, I, I have a place to put it. Yeah. But it's since 2011, that's been really rare. Yeah. And do you employ a mechanic or do you send everything off? Or? I don't employ. I've got a few employees that are really great mechanics. Yeah. Uh, Lucio and Manuel are both phenomenal mechanics. And, and we'll send stuff out, you sure. know, like. A lot of it now is so high tech, just like cars. It's not like working on a car when you and I were in high school. They got computers and different yeah. things. And so a lot of it I'll send to Vermeer or whoever it may be from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you asked earlier, and I don't think I answered in all my ramblings, but I, I think right now we've got about 70 employees. Yeah. That's, wow, that's big. Yeah. yeah. On the six projects. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So, talked a lot about you and your company and and what you guys do, and I and I and I hope that people are have been a lot more informed about irrigation and all that. But what is it that you do when you're not working? What is it that you enjoy doing? Your family, talk a little bit about that life, and because I want people to get to know you on a personal level a little bit too as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it is all about family. Yeah. My wife and I just uh, this pat on. Um, June 3rd, celebrated our 19-year wedding anniversary. Right, congratulations. Appreciate that, yeah. Um, I don't know how she's done it. But <laughs> I don't, well. We've got a great relationship. Our daughters are 14 and 12 years old. Yep. My 14-year-old daughter is just going into high school. She's loved basketball since fifth grade. Sure. Is extraordinarily talented at it. We have no idea where she got that from. Yeah. Because it wasn't me or her mama. <laughs> uh, and then my 12-year-old daughter is in competitive gymnastics and cheer. And they're both on travel teams doing that. So, yeah, there's most weekends when I'm able to get in, if you know, whether it's a cheer tournament here or a basketball tournament there. And it's crazy with sports now. I mean, yeah. they – these girls' schedules with just their one individual sport run nearly year-round. Oh, yeah. Between school ball and travel ball and, you know, yeah. I might have four months of basketball growing up, and yeah. then we did ba baseball and yeah. football. But, yeah, they're one sport year-round, so do a ton of that. And then you're sitting here looking at my place, my passion. Beautiful out here, by the way. I love uh, horses and horseback riding. Yeah. And it's great around here. Um all my horses are spotted saddle horses, Tennessee walking horses, double registered. But we don't do the shows and the big yeah. padded feet and all that. We trail ride them. Yeah. But you go to Woodbury or you go in any direction around here, you can be in some really steep, good hills in no time. And I've always been amazed at what these horses can do. Sure. And I can go up and down stuff, and me and all the people I go with can go up and down stuff that you would not dream of taking a four-wheeler or motorcycle up and down. <laughs> I mean, it's it's insane yeah. what they can do. So that is my fall-winter passion for yeah. me. And then we have a uh, we have a Mastercraft boat, a surf edition. So in the summer, me, my wife, my daughters, and lots of our friends, we're out here on Tim's Ford Lake wake yeah. surfing. Oh, yeah. And inner tubing. I complain to no end about the inner tube, but the girls love it. Oh, sure. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's our – I do the horses in the winter and the and the boat in the summer. Yep. And then outside of that, I'm all hobby. I got no room for another hobby. Yeah. 
And we talked earlier before we started recording. You don't you don't even play golf, not anymore. I don't. I did for years. Uh, wasn't ever very really good at yep. it. I I was bogey golf. Yeah. You know, I think uh, I've shot maybe eighty or eighty one once or twice. Yeah. Um, but I haven't played in about fourteen years. Once my daughter, my oldest daughter, was born. Um, I spend so much time on golf courses working, <laughs> yeah. and then once I had kids at home, it just uh, didn't make sense to me anymore. Yep. A buddy of mine, though, that I used to play with, we've talked about picking it up again, yeah. and I may do that, um, but yeah, I haven't played. Wow, that's awesome. So I mean, if we ever get invited to anything industry-wise, yeah. I'm sending my partner, and like I said, he <laughs> now played. Clay's a good. Now he's a good golfer. Oh yeah, he played at South Carolina. He beat the brakes off of you. He's still good. So yeah. yeah, if we're ever invited to anything, yeah, Clay's gonna be the one showing up for that, not yeah. me. And trust me, you want it that way. That's right, and he can win a few. Uh, he, I mean, he can impress a few people with his golf game, <laughs> right? For sure, I'd run people off with yeah. mine. I have no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Well, Stephen, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is going to be the longest podcast I've ever done. So, and really, we talk, I had no idea, yeah, man. It seems it goes like by that. almost an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and uh, I, I just want to say, man, how I appreciated sitting down and chatting with you. Thanks for doing this. Uh, it's always been our, our relationship's always been fun, and and uh, being out of the industry now has kind of gotten me to do a lot of things. And sitting down with guys like yourself and talking and chatting about it is. It really makes uh, things fun and, and enjoyable, and I appreciate you opening your home and being down here and talking and talking about your business and what you got going. Well, good deal, man. I appreciate you coming down, and I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to uh, to get out there. This, this has been great. Yeah, we're going to need that salt gun for this fly. I know, <laughs> man. I know it's right there on the table. Uh, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. So uh, are you on any social media? You want to push, tell anybody about your social media? Do you do it a lot? Uh, you know, I, I made a point at, at the beginning of last year to really step that up. And um, so uh, Nut, Nut Construction, Nut Irrigation has a, a Facebook page. Yep. So I put a lot on that. And then I opened up a Twitter account, and I couldn't even necessarily tell you my handle right now. Well, I'll I'll tweet it out when I – Okay, but I did both of those simultaneous and made a point last year to really commit the time to keep them updated and and make posts. And what I found – I mean, Facebook's cool, but it's – Facebook's all friends of mine or friends of theirs. Twitter, though, has really gotten the traction. Everybody I'm connected with on Twitter – is in my industry, yeah. whether it's superintendents or, or whatever. And then, so I picked up all kinds of followers on Twitter within the industry. So that right. that's kind of where I focus all my efforts now is, is on Twitter. And it's, uh, you know, just posting pics out there. And I've got my guys are always sending me stuff. And I tell them, send me whatever. It may be nothing to you or second right. nature, but the stuff we see every day on these construction sites, there's a lot of people out there that would be, wow, look at yeah. that, you know, and we don't think much of it. So, yeah, that's kind of where my focus is at now. I definitely I definitely would encourage you to do more. It, 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 in my, you know, I was one of the ones who kind of adopted Twitter and Instagram, and I think those, those platforms have a, 
a huge benefit if you use them in the right way to project your business or what you're doing. So yeah. I would encourage you to do as much. And it's, it, it's a learning curve just like anything else and figure yeah. out what you do. But, you know, just posting what you're doing and where you're at and some of the things you're coming across will really engage people. And so encourage you to do more of that. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think you're totally right. Yep. That's good advice. And your and your handle on Twitter is at nut s seventy five, okay. and that's nut with two t's. N u t t s seventy five. Good deal. So I, we'll, I'll tweet that out when I send the podcast out uh, when it goes live to everybody. So perfect, perfect, awesome. Well, once again, man, uh, thank you. Um, we'll tell every. I hope uh, this. Um, was enjoyable for you as it was for me but thanks again for it and i appreciate you doing it yes sir uh, it was enjoyable for me i appreciate you. hopefully it's not another uh three or four years before we get to sit down and chat and do i agree i agree but for uh the rest of you listening please uh go rate share subscribe uh follow us on itunes we're going to be available on pretty much every uh place that you can listen to podcasts i just i just submitted it submitted it for iHeartRadio. so Uh, wherever you're listening thank you appreciate it Uh, until next time this is another episode of making the turn I'm your host BJ Parker and we'll talk to you soon